Hi, and thank you for joining our latest episode of Powering Payments Podcast. I'm Dave Scola, and today we'll be doing a deep dive into some of the key questions around the upcoming launch of FedNow. With faster payments already well established in many other regions around the globe, the launch of FedNow is being seen by many as the tipping point for faster payments to take center stage in the U.S. But with that comes many questions around how it will work, its adoption, and what banks need to do to prepare. I'm excited to have with me Miriam Sherrill, who recently joined us at Form 3, but prior to this was at the Fed as the FedNow product manager. And we'll be able to help answer some of the questions that we have been hearing both from our clients and from the market in general. Um, but before we begin, maybe Miriam, we could do a, a little launch into what brought you into, into Form 3 and, uh, and where you see the opportunities and just kind of what attracted you to the company. Definitely. I think the right answer is you did, since you're the one asking me the question. But uh, <laughs> the, re- the real answer, the real answer um, maybe just some background. I think you started with uh, FedNow, so maybe a few minutes on, on my whole career here is I am a Fed baby, as we like to call ourselves, which means my whole career was at the Fed up until this point. So started as an intern and my background was technology. So that was, I would say, my first love. And then I moved very quickly into the payment space, starting with wholesale and Fedwire at the Fed, supporting it from a technology angle. And then we moved very quickly into thinking about FedNow, faster payments. Should the Fed you know, push that? Should we have a scheme there? And as part of that, a team of us between Fedwire ACH, which is the retail payments, we're looking into that, doing a lot of work on what it would take 24-7, the technology, all of that. Made the decision, obviously, that they announced in 2019 to launch that service. And then as part of that, got the opportunity to move into that product management lead spot and really get to drive kind of what does day one look like for FedNow? What are those requirements? What is the design? Meet with lots of customers. Um, And it was really, really exciting. I will say during that time period, I would say right when we were deciding to announce FedNow, there was a part of me that said, hey, once a Fed baby, always a Fed baby. Should I try to experience something new and, you know, kind of branch out a bit? And at that point, I think FedNow was the something new. So when we decided to do that, uh, we called it a startup within the Fed, which now that I'm at Form 3, I might uh, question that perspective a bit. The definition of startup has changed for you, I'm sure. I, I think the definition of startup has definitely changed. But for the Fed, I do believe that was kind of a startup mentality. And it was, I would say, really, really exciting for a few years. Got to do a lot of things that probably at the Fed I wasn't expecting to be able to do. And then earlier this year, I think a couple of things happened. Uh, one, the Fed is getting ready for the pilot, which now Form 3 has the opportunity to be a part of. Um, officially as we got invited to join. And FedNow itself is kind of leading into that last mile stretch. So, you know, built out, designed, and now we're trying to move it to the finish line and get it to go live. And so I started thinking to myself, okay, maybe time to branch out again, get to build something new. Um, And then to my joke, when I started, I think that's where where you and Form 3 did did come, come up and become an option. So combining, I guess, my, my two loves there, technology and payments. So truly believe what Form 3 has to offer is very different. Sitting through a lot of FedNow calls, talking to a lot of customers, talking to a lot of processors, there is a need in the market for something that is multi-cloud and API and 24-7 and highly resilient in its, I would say, infancy. So from the start, not something that moved there. Um, and then I guess the second piece is the, the culture that I kind of 
learned and heard about just through the interview process. So something that's very people first attitude, inherent top down in every single aspect of the job. Um, and I will say, I think I'm here six weeks now. I think I see it every single day. So that's probably the two, the two selling points for me to, to make the move. Excellent. Cool. So we were, we were honest in what we told you about the company. The interview process was honest. (laughs) I will say we could put that on our, on our record. (laughs) Excellent. Cool. So maybe just to, to get into, I think people want to kind of hear, uh, more detail around fed now and hopefully we can answer some some questions for the the audience in general but one of the things that we hear come up more and more often is around interoperability right so the us already has a real time a real time payment platform through tch that's been in place for a few years now <clears throat> there are already i think correct me somewhere around 200 banks on rtp today we now have this uh, alternate system coming in. How do you see the, the two working together? What will drive the usage of one versus the other? You know, how do you see the in, a whole interoperability space working yeah. out in the future? Uh, so first, I'm going to do something that will, by definition, define me as a Fed baby, because it's a very Fed thing to do. But I will put the caveat out that I don't represent the Fed anymore. I represent Form 3 now. But I will say the last few years, that that has probably been the biggest topic, especially at the start of FedNow. So will it be interoperable with RTP, the Clearinghouse's real-time payment system, or not? Um, and maybe I'll, I'll spend two minutes, because I'm a payment geek, just giving a, a quick overview on the two types of interoperability so I can kind of properly answer the question. So um, in the U.S. especially, we have message exchange interoperability. So this is how FedACH and EPN at the Clearinghouse work. You can initiate a payment on one service. The receiver financial institution can be on the other service. So some people call that true interoperability. We call it message exchange interoperability, which means you don't have to be on both networks, although you'll see that many banks are for a resiliency perspective. And then you have Fedwire, which I mentioned I I worked on prior to FedNow, and the Clearinghouse's chip system. And that's message routing interoperability, which means both participants do have to be on the same scheme. But the two schemes will be very aligned in message specs and rules and things like that so that financial institutions can really make the best choice of how they want their payment to go through. Should it go on the clearinghouses network because the receiver is there and there's other benefits as far as netting and stuff, or should they send it over Fedwire? So when FedNow started, um, and I will say they did this pretty collaboratively, uh, they chose that second option. Um, so it is that kind of message routing alignment interoperability. So if you initiate a payment on FedNow, the receiver bank has to be on FedNow and same for real-time payments on the clearinghouse. If you initiate it there, the receiver has to be there. And primarily, I think the reason was it's very hard in a real, real-time gross settlement service to do the other options. So for ACH, it's a little different. Things clear in real times, but settlements happening a few times a day and then overnight. So same day settlement or not with Fedwire and then FedNow and RTP, these are real-time payments that settle instantly, right? And they're very fast and all of that. And so that gets really, really complicated. Flip side of that is that the message specs while aligned, they both use ISO 2022. Um, There are lots of similarities and there's a lot of collaboration going on there. There are also differences. And so those I think are being more and more realized right now. I know we've heard it from some of you know, our clients, 
there are differences there that are going to make it potentially hard for a bank to really be able to support both services. And I will say that's where a processor or someone like Form 3 can really come and help out, right? Remove that from the bank. So for a bank, they just want to send a payment through. So one payment API that we offer, you send the payment in, whether it goes to RTP or FedNow, whether you have to worry about a Paxo for return message or not, the, the processor behind the scene, the one that's actually connecting you to these schemes could really be separated from that, handle all of that for you. Um, I think with that in mind, it may or may not stay that way. So they have always said that they will continue to evaluate this. Both Fed and the Clearinghouse have said that. Um, so I think what we'll see, especially with FedNow Pilot, as more banks start to adopt the service, if it's becoming uh, easy or we're seeing that many banks, even those you said 200, I think it's like 240 or something in that number, are seeing FedNow and able to adopt to it as well because they found ways to kind of remove these concerns, they'll probably stick with this model. Um, if we're seeing that this is becoming a blocker to ubiquity and kind of the end goal of having faster payments be across the whole U.S., then it, it might be reevaluated. But I don't think we'll see it change for a few years. Yeah. And that, that topic of adoption keeps coming up more and more as well, right? So, in you know, I, we have deep experience in the U.K. as a company. We're now handling something like 40 to 50 percent of the, the faster payment traffic in the U.K. Uh, but that's a... a more mature environment in that it was established, I think, 10, 12 years ago. We're now going through a second iteration with NPA. Um, and we really didn't see the broad takeup of, of real-time payments in the UK until it was mandated by the UK regulators. Um, I guess the question comes up with our clients as well around, well, you know, what are the use cases for this? Why would I, uh, why would I adopt FedNow or RTP, right? What, what are the benefits of uh, not only to the banks, obviously, but uh, to their, their end clients and, and some of the use cases underlying those. Yeah. And I guess the prediction is we'll see something like UK, but faster, uh, not to use a pun because all we're going to say here is faster a lot, but faster. So RTP did start a few years ago. Um, there's obviously sentiments around how far RTP will go as it's the clearinghouse. And so there are some smaller banks, community banks who may or may not fully want to invest in a service like that. I think many also see the Fed coming out with a service as adding a lot of resiliency, maybe making this a, a real thing for lack of a better word. Um, and so I do think that with Fed now, we will see a big, a big uptick. Now, will it be, you know, a prediction of thousands of banks in the first year? I don't know, but I think we'll see a big, a big uptick. Their pilot, they have over 120 plus participants in. So if you compare that to the number of who's on RTP today, I mean, that's already half of that number essentially. And so that's a pretty good sign that there is a lot of interest now that the Fed is doing this. Um, I think when it comes to the, the use cases and the benefits, they will start becoming more apparent the more banks that start signing up for it. So you obviously have the basic, you know, 24-7 and high resiliency, always up idea, which is a big benefit putting payment use cases aside just because weekends, nights, I mean, especially as RTP has gone up to a million, Fed now starting at 500K, there's a lot more payments that can be sent through these networks. And so there are payments that potentially 
you want to do on the weekend, like go buy your first car and you can't because of the loan payment, all of a sudden those start opening up. And so businesses like that are going to start asking their banks that they bank with, hey, can you support this? If not, I got to go somewhere else because they're all going to have to start competing. Uh, the other, I guess, op- idea and specifically around payment use cases, then now and RTP are both use case agnostic. So any payment can really go through it. But what they're both doing is looking at payments like bill pay and P2P, peer-to-peer payments, and how can they help catalyze those? Because they know that once those use cases can work over those networks, that's when we're going to start seeing more and more banks join, reach ubiquity, start to drive volume on these networks. Um, And so you've got, you know, the clearinghouse doing a lot of work around request for payment. I think, you know, with the idea being that once that's really working, bill pay can start really flowing over the network. And that'll be a big deal, right? Once you have bill pay, you have a lot of banks that are going to sign up because that's a much better way of getting payments through and avoiding your late fees. If when you remember at 11.59 p.m. at night, like I tend to do when you're trying to go to sleep and you can just hit click and the the money goes through. The other big one is peer-to-peer. So, I mean, I think we all do that, right? You go to a bar, you split the bill, you just get an email address. Uh, But in order for that to really go as well, there's integrations that are needed into directories. So you've got the clearinghouse, they announced their integration with Zelle. So as that starts to go into fruition and those payments can go over a real-time clearing and settlement network, you'll see an increase. And then FedNow has announced that not for their first release, but as part of their fast follower, they're looking at that space also. How can they help and support and integrate into the directory? So once FedNow is live and there's some competition between the two, it also kind of drives these things to, to get there a little bit faster. Yeah. I mean, that has been one of the, the arguments for FedNow was an, an argument, to be fair, made by the Fed, right? That uh, ubiquity was the, the kind of driver for an alternate real-time payment system. I think to be, to be fair to the clearinghouse, they have uh, really kind of gone out of their way to to drive adoption, right, and to to, to lower the barriers of entry to uh, to getting onto the RTP system. So it will be interesting to see, you know, why we why we'll see different behaviors in the use of Fed now versus what we've seen with RTP. If we will see different behaviors and and how that adoption will will uh, will occur, but. Um, I think the the competition aspect is, you know, being good capitalists, right? That uh, that's always a good thing, right? To to create an, um, a little bit of competition, but um, it'll be interesting to see because I agree with you. I think the the adoption will be faster than what we've seen in other markets, but it's going to require us first hitting a kind of tipping point, right? Where it's where it is ubiquitous and 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 consumers are uh, demanding the capability. One one last comment on that. I, I think you're right. So the clearinghouse has made it really clear and is pushing that this service is open to all. So it's not just for big banks. It's not for one type. You know, it's, it's open for all. And I think they've seen some of that. Um, so they definitely have some community banks and such that have joined it. But between competition, resiliency, and then also just the attitude is what it is. A central bank scheme is, is a central bank scheme. And so sometimes having two out there really helps drive all the financial institutions. And in terms of the, the actual rollout of the service, um, maybe you could take us through kind of a, the timeline and how we see the, the, the implementations happening. Um, Cause right now we're in the pilot phase, correct? 
Um, with, we have expectations that uh, it will go live in March. Um, so I think just maybe kind of walk us through how you see that rolling out and happen. Yeah, so um, I will say FedNow on their last pilot call did kind of talk, talk through some of that. So they've got testing starting this year, which is great. I think um, really key that you can start testing as soon as possible. We know that testing has always been one of the things that holds it all back, right? You get to the phase where you can finally test with customers if you're fed now or for us, you know, with the scheme and then all of a sudden you realize a hundred things that weren't clear or you did wrong or they did wrong. So testing as soon as possible is key. The fact that they're going to open up testing, you know, before they're fully done and ready, I think is great. Um, and then next year, what they said is uh, they would start the production uh, between Q2 and Q3. So uh, yeah, I think that's what they said between Q2 and Q3. So I think they're looking at that that date a bit as far as when can they really truly start the stage production rollout um, and start getting customers on. They're going to start with the pilot customers. So that's part of why we're really excited to be there so that we can go, we can test, we can go live, we can certify, bring customers online. Uh, but they did say that they would allow other banks to kind of move on as well. And so I think... Um, I will say on that call, a lot of people ask questions in this space, and, and my sense is they're still figuring out all the nuances and details. Um, they know enough to know we'll start testing, we'll start testing with payments and all like the key core things that you need to do in in September. Um, and then their, their true rollout, I think they are leaving it a little, I don't know if the word is fuzzy, but a little bit open, you know, committed to 2023, which was good when they had it versus 23, 24. But uh, I think we'll we'll learn more to come, especially as testing grows. Right. And and one of the things that you know, as banks are looking to to implement this, it's not it's not just processing the a payment faster, right? It sounds pretty straightforward, right? You know, just uh, just put it through the pipe faster, and then there's your instant payment. Um, it's also all of the ancillary activity that takes place around a payment, right? So things like fraud, which maybe we'll touch on in a moment, um, but um, the big one we get questioned around uh, all the time is liquidity management, right? And how, how do you see banks um, dealing with the liquidity management problem in a real-time payment environment? Yeah, and I, I think liquidity management is a really interesting topic because where it started and where it is right now is a little bit different. So when the Clearinghouse started their service, RTP, their model is a funding defunding model. So the funds are all held in a joint account, very similar to their CHIPS model. Um, and then they've got kind of the books within RTP. It's still real time. It's still settled in real time. But uh, those institutions need to manage their funding, essentially, right? They have to manage their limits. And so to do that, they can wire money in and out of the joint account. Um, so obviously, for those who are familiar with wire, that's there's a limitation there and that wire is closed on the weekends and for a period at night. And so the clearinghouse did raise that, financial institutions raised that like, hey, on the weekend, I got a problem. If I use up my funds, how do I get more? Um, and the RTP service actually solved it in a really interesting way um, where they opened up the ability for those financial institutions to move money within the RTP books during that weekend time period. So. Bank Miriam could send Bank Dave a, a loan within the RTP funding that I already have there so that Dave can keep doing their business and they have agreements like that. FedNow, when they announced their um, launch, they talked about this liquidity management transfer. So it's kind of similar, but it allows for the movement between the master accounts. So financial institutions 
can use a correspondent bank or an agreement that they have, and they can move money. And then they can also move money into that joint account and out of it. So um, that can help with RTP if there's banks who have those agreements. But Bank Miriam has said, hey, Bank Dave, I need my million dollars. And Bank Dave said, I don't, I don't got it either. They can use a FedNow transfer to move that over the weekend. Um, one of the interesting things there is the availability of that transfer and, and if it's going to be when Fedwire is not available, is it going to be all the time? You know, we know that back offices for financial institutions are pretty complicated. And so by separating it out, if you've got to do it with Fedwire one day and then FedNow on Saturdays, that can be complicated. Um, I will say again, wherever you can separate kind of what the schemes require from the true payments on a financial institution side, the better. So again, this is where for a financial institution, if they had the ability of using a payment API, for example, and saying, I just want to do liquidity, like move it from Miriam to Dave, however you can. And then form three would say, okay, is it wire or is it fed now? Which one's open? But keep that away from the bank so they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to deal with it. That's a huge benefit. So the more that this road where we play, that kind of last milestone into the schemes can do some intelligent routing, can do the ISO stuff, the less the banks have to worry about that, and then they can just do their business. So when it comes to liquidity, they could just say, I need liquidity. They don't have to start worrying about which service is open. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And what about, so I mentioned fraud. I think, you know, there's there's fraud, there's OFAC and sanction screening. You know, how do you see that playing out or how has kind of that been incorporated into the Fed's planning? Yeah, so uh, compliance screening, I will say, um, you know, RTP has said, you know, required. I don't believe the Fed has said 100% required, but they haven't said not required. I think this guidance would come probably from the Treasury as opposed to the Fed. Uh, it's safe to assume you have to do compliance screening and OFAC screening. If, you know, the banks are doing it for RTP, I would assume plan it for Fed now as well. Um, and it makes it a little bit more complicated with faster payments. So both RTP and Fed now have this step where when you receive a payment, you need to reply, you being the bank, saying, yes, I'll accept this payment. And by doing that, you have two requirements, essentially. Confirm that the account number that you're getting this payment for is valid, it's open, so you can make that those funds available, and compliance screening. And there is a one allowance if you get a hit there so that you can say, okay, I'm accepting this, but I need more time before I can make it available. Um, that's difficult. That has to happen really fast, uh, five seconds, actually, for both RTP and FedNow. Um, so another place where if you can do that check in real time, if you can have someone else potentially do that check in real time, that could be really, really helpful for banks. So they can do the compliance follow-up after. Doing that check is really important. Fraud is a whole nother beast. <laughs> I will say that. I think it's in the news all the time. It's you know something that everybody has to be mindful and push payments and faster payments just makes it stronger. Um, for both RTP and FedNow, I think they talk a lot about it and they put a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of education. Uh, FedNow has talked about this in relation to the P2P use case a lot. So day one, they do have some features that they've announced that they're offering. Um, RTP has some of them as well, things like dollar limits. So the global limit might be a million over there and 500,000 there. But if your bank is a small retail bank and all you really do are you know, bill payments and you're like, hey, I want my limit to be set to like 10,000 because I never have a $500,000 use case. You can do that. 
Uh, FedNow is also offering something called negative lists. So the ability to actually load up a list of account numbers that you want blocked and things like that. So that I think is a nice feature. Uh, but beyond that, and some of the more fancy, fancy is probably a bad word, but fancier tools, uh, FedNow has talked about looking at it, especially when they start working with directory and P2P, because that's where we see the most fraud. You get a text message, hey, Dave wants money. You click it. It's not Dave. You just sent someone else money. And so they're looking at it, um, starting with those releases. And the Clearinghouse has also kind of been looking into this space. I do think another area where you know financial institutions and banks have to have to think about it because at the end of the day it's then required for them instead right so if they can't use something that the clearing's offering they're going to have to do something on their side um, because it's just it's just standard at this point so where you can find something like that again if you've got a processor or someone who could do some of that integration for you whatever can be removed the better yeah and i, I think that's where um you know you've you've touched on where form three can add value um in, in several ways but i think um i'd like to hear your thoughts on like if, if people are trying to do all of this in a legacy environment right where it's not api enabled right it's it's um running off of older mainframe systems the software needs to be you know version controlled and, and updated constantly and and um um that all of that onus is, is still kind of carried by the bank itself. Um, it becomes very difficult, right? I think for them to, to, to accomplish all this, right? Um, and so I guess maybe opening you up for a shameless plug for form three, but you know, how do you think form three is different and how do you think we can, we can help, um, help banks in this journey? Yeah. I, I so this, takes us all the way back to the, the first question of the, the reasons I switched. And I think the first thing I said was, I, I kind of believe in, in what we have to offer. Um, and you really touched on it. So it is very clear that banks can get there, other third party processors can get there, but it's going to be really expensive and it's going to be really, really hard because trying to replatform everything and then try to meet these faster payment requirements, which are not easy. When I Remember when I first started talking about FedNow, even at the Fed internally to groups, and they're like, "What's you know what's exciting about FedNow? Why is it different? It's a payment. A payment is a payment. It's twenty four seven. It's there's no kind of end of day processing allowed. It's there's a timeout clock on every one of these payments. It has to be really really fast, and we're expecting in the future tons of volume, so really high performance. These are huge technology challenges that if you've got old stuff in that's working great." Upgrading them to do this and then still having them work great is really, really hard. Form 3 has this kind of brand new but really resilient multi-cloud, API-based. It's already 24-7. It's already got all the nines you can you know, possibly want. It's really hard to get there, but if you start there, that's really, really cool. And then what I've seen since I've gotten here is how we're expanding it and being able to kind of leverage that to do these different integrations. So things like fraud integration, things like OFAC compliance check integration, even being able to stand in and have customers give us their account numbers so we could do that check for them. But all these things that right now are really hard for banks to do. And so that might be part of why we're seeing a limit in the adoption rate, because it's going to be really expensive. And then they all have to make a case for that. We can offer it instead. And then it's cheaper. And then it's like, well, if it's that easy to do it, I just hook up and they're going to take care of all this to me. At the end of the day for me, it's just a payment. Um, we might see a big increase in adoption. And, and I do think Form 3 basically has 
a solution that provides it all inherent. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Well, I guess we, we would agree, otherwise we wouldn't be here, right? But then... <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you sold it to me first, but then I got, I got here and I saw that it was really true. Yeah. So technology geek part of me coming out of it. Excellent. So speaking of technology geeks and maybe shifting gears a little bit um, for one last question, uh, you know, I've come from a traditional banking environment, which is, you know, very male dominated. I moved over to what, you know, a fintech environment, which is stunningly even more male dominated. Um, I guess on the, t the topic of diversity, you know, we're very conscious of trying to uh, address that, which is, you know, there is a dislocation in the space altogether all in fin the fintech space, but, uh, you know, we're, we're um, trying very hard to address that. But I guess on the topic of, of women in, in financial technology firms and, you know, what kind of um, more can be done to address that imbalance and uh, what you see at Form 3 that might be different than, than elsewhere. Yeah, so this is always 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 a fun topic because it is yeah, sorry. it is it is really important and it's not just important for like equality and political reasons. If you think about it, pretty sure there's more women than men on the planet, which means likely there's more payments coming from women. And so it's it's really about diversity of thought. And I think you've probably seen it. I definitely seen it from my angle. You go to meetings or you're part of leadership discussions and there's a lot of men in the room, it's a viewpoint. It's a viewpoint that's missing that you don't have more women there who are like, well, you know, payments mean this to me. It sounds pretty basic, but I think it's inherent in how we think about how we design things and also for teams and cultures just being able to represent and have both sides of that view at a leadership meeting. So you're representing everyone. Um, what, what more can be done? I do think there's huge awareness and everyone talks about it. Um, I think how they talk about it is important. So I'll go back to, to my culture comment for a second. You know, it was important at the Fed also. It, it's important everywhere and it gets discussed. But when I joined Fed uh, Form 3, I have to say, Michael, who's the global CEO, meets with everybody, which is the first really cool thing. Like you get you have this meeting with the CEO and it's all levels and it's everyone. So you get on a call, there's eight other new starters there and the CEO and he's going into his whole background and talking to you and asking you where you're from. So that's cool. But on that call, just very open and transparently, he, he made the comment. He said, just look around. There's not enough women on this call. We know that. We're looking to address it. And part of it is because there aren't a lot of women with resumes in this space. And he was focused there specifically in the technology piece. But I think I like ducked so he couldn't see. My jaw hit the floor. That was so open and transparent on this call with everyone. So have I had this conversation and heard it in leadership discussions? Absolutely. But so open. And I actually think it changes the whole conversation. So instead of it being this thing that we say we have to talk about, but we do it at leadership, it's just very transparent. This is a thing. We're working on it. We're all working on it. And he acknowledges it to everyone. I think that actually changes the whole conversation and pushes it a lot stronger than the articles that come out or the leadership discussions. So that's that's pretty cool. And obviously education is a big, a big deal also. I think there's a lot going on in that space. My daughter is maybe unhappy that I keep pushing STEM things on her, but I think that's as well. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, it is important. I mean, you touched on the kind of diversity of perspective, right? Going back to, you know, talking about use, use cases for Fed now, not to be that kind of tactical about it, but, you know, if, if more, to your point, more than 50% of consumers are, are women, you know, how are you, you know, designing and understanding use cases for that payment activity design? It just, you know, we're, we're playing with one hand tied behind our back if we don't address the, the diversity issue. So I think, and I think to your point, Michael, and the rest of the company is very open and aware about it. I, we haven't solved it, and I don't think we're anywhere near solving it. And that's part of being transparent about it. Right? But uh, but I think it's uh, taking active steps to address it is is very important to, to Form Three overall. So with that, I think uh, I think we'll wrap here. But um, so good to have you on on the team and in the company, I think, you know, to, um, to have the, the person who is, um, responsible for the design and product management of FedNow now working at form three and, and, you know, such an identifiable face for the FedNow pilot banks, um, has been fantastic. So we're, we're thrilled to have you here. And, uh, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast took something away from, from the FedNow launch and, uh, we're grateful for it. So thanks very much, Mary. Appreciate yeah. it. It's a lot of fun experiencing it from a, a different angle. I think I, I now listen to those calls and I go, oh, that's what we sounded like. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. But.